too easily satisfied. Help us to come to you with an attitude of expectation to learn from you and to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4. If you've got a Bible there, one on your phone, your palm device, whatever, feel free to grab one of those. There are extra Bibles at the back of the room. Feel free to grab one of those. Um, Matthew 4 is where we are going to start today. We're going to give a little bit of uh, context to our uh, topic this morning, starting in Matthew 4 and verse 17. Matthew 4 and verse 17 is where we're going to start. Those of you that are thumb-punching notes into your phone, we're starting in Matthew 4, verse 17. So, in the next couple of moments, we're going to get to Matthew 6.33, our theme, but I want to kind of set the stage because in this section, Matthew is recording uh, really the largest single block of Jesus saying stuff uninterrupted. And so we believe that God created this world, that God loves us, right? That our great-great-great-great-grandmother, grandfather, Adam and Eve, made a mistake. They did the only thing, the one thing that God asked them not to do, and sin entered the equation. And every person since then has been born into sin. That sin is something that God can't live with. God can't be one with, right? And so a price had to be paid. There had to be bloodshed. There had to be a cost for the sin to be forgiven, not good deeds, but a price paid. A price paid by somebody who did not sin, right? And so God loved us so much that He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to be the Messiah, the sent one, our Savior. Completely God and completely human that would come to earth tempted in every way that we are, and yet different from us in that he never sinned. He never made a mistake. And so Jesus has already lived that life, and now he speaks. God speaks to us. So it's time for us to listen. And this, chapter 4, verse 17, is very important. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This phrase that Matthew uses just before, from then on, what he's saying is that everywhere Jesus went, this was the most important, the main thing, the first thing that he said. That's literally what the Greek means with what Matthew said here. This is the thing that Jesus said over and over. This is the thing... See. We can get tricked into thinking I can just come with Jesus and try to be a better person, but not relate to him as Lord. That is a tragic mistake that will have consequences in hell. Jesus said, repent. Repent of your sins and turn to God. I was going this way, and now I turn around, and instead of being out to please myself, I'm now living for God. That's the context of the conversation. Now, why is this serious call put to us? 
Because through Jesus, there's life. There's peace. There's joy. There's the hope of heaven. There's real change, real freedom in this world. Good news. Right? So that's the context. Then he says, verse 19, come and follow me. And he says, chapter 5, verse, verse 3, God blesses. And we have this list that Jesus begins to give us of those that God blesses. And in verse 11, he says, God blesses you da, 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 because you are my followers. So repenting and following Jesus is really important. In chapter in 5 and verse 14, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, right? And then throughout chapter 5 and 6, Jesus is shifting their focus from, uh, from external behaviors and details. This is important. Listen, listen to this part. Jesus is shifting their focus from external behaviors and detailed lists of don't do this and don't do that. If you read through it five, six, seven, multiple times, you'll start to pick up on the fact that Jesus is shifting their focus to what's in their heart. It's about what's in your heart. What's in your heart between you and God. And that's where in chapter 6, Jesus starts to talk about the normal, victorious, winning freedom, the normal Christian life with three things that he talks about that should be normal. When you give, meaning you choose to live on less of your own time, energy, and money to give it away to other people and to the church, when you give, when you pray, giving and prayer, a part of the normal Christian life. When you pray, prayer is for everyone. It's a conversation with God. When you pray, that's verse 5 of chapter 6. And when you fast, in verse 16. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. That's the context of the conversation. And then, in the latter part of chapter 6, Jesus starts this, hey... Don't worry about what you're going to wear or how you're going to pay your bills. Don't worry about that. Let's look at verse 31. Chapter 6, verse 31. Are you with me? Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. That's the context Got it? Don't worry. Verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. Most translations say seek first. The New Living, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. What, what is the key to this don't worry, be happy, victorious Christian life? What's the key to that? How does that work? And, and Jesus uses a specific word here that He uses many times in other places that we've talked about in years past. First, seek first. That word is not just this is the first thing that you should do in the order of the things that you should do. It does mean that, but it's not only that. It's a word that says that there are some things in your life that are of greater value, of greater importance. Are you tracking? There's something, seek, Jesus says, seek first. And this first word is a, hey, pay attention to this. The kingdom of God is 
the most important thing in your life. The American dream really has become a pursuit for free time. I want to have everything I want so I can do whatever I want with my free time. And yet what we discover is that that is not satisfying. Right? That every little thing we try in that pursuit ultimately fails us, frustrates us. We can never get enough of it. Am I talking reality here? Right? The life of loving God, living for God, is the opposite of that. It is fulfilling. It is where real freedom, where real life change occurs. How does it occur? When we seek first. God's calling us to a wholehearted devotion. This morning, I want to title this. uh, I had it there. Okay, hold it. Now, a couple weeks ago, I used a lightsaber um, as an example, and now I want to use a sword of a different sort. Uh, You may or may not have ever seen one of these. Uh, This is from fencing. This is called a foil. Um, And I actually was lucky enough to study under a lady whose two sons fenced in the Olympics and learned a little bit um, about fencing. And um, what... Star Wars Episode One, uh, you know, besides He Who Shall Not Be Named, Jar Jar Binks, the uh, best part was probably the pod race. Uh, after that, the best part would have been the special features about um, the lightsaber duels. Look it up, pretty awesome. That aside, for the most part in the movies, when we see sword fighting, what we see is slashing. Wild, crazy slashing. And in real warfare... Anybody who slashed like that gets killed very quickly by somebody who knows what they're doing with a real sword. Now, why is that? I thought you would never ask. <laughs> One of the movies that I enjoyed is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. In the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which, by the way, at the end of the February, a sequel will be released on Netflix. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, there is the pursuit of this one sword called the Green Destiny. The Green Destiny is this sword of mystical powers. And so there's a a young lady who is learning Kung Fu. And that's one of my favorite games with my kids. I see your Kung Fu has improved, but you have not seen. And then I unleash something different. So she's going up against a master and she's stolen the Green Destiny and she's slashing, slashing her way with the sword, and he's defending it and frustrating her with his great calm. And he says to her, you need practice. I can teach you to fight with the green destiny, but first you must learn to hold it in stillness. See, on a sword, particularly a foil, you can kind of see how the handle here has a shape to it, a contour, a little bit of a curve. That's so that it can be held in a very specific way. Your hand should hold it like this, and you're not gripping it like this, but you're actually holding it in your fingertips. Somebody that knows what they're doing with fencing can put an end to you very quickly, and it's all in the fingertips. It's in the grip. Ever had anyone ever tell you, get a grip? 
kind of, can be kind of harsh, kind of a harsh way to say, calm down, focus, right? I think that sometimes as we turn the corner to New Year's, we need to get a grip. Gripping too hard to your life is not the answer. Control, balance, just like it is in sword fighting, so it is in your life. More work is not the answer. More anger, more frustration, slashing about, more insecurity, more fear, that is not the answer. Getting a grip, having a secure hold on your life. A secure hold. And if we, if scripture is to be believed, that's not clutching on for dear life, but it is a calm. It is a peace. It is a learning to hold it in stillness. In stillness. This spiritual life, this following Jesus thing has been related to warfare in Scripture. Paul in Ephesians relates it to warfare in Scripture. And One thing about living this Christian life is that you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. You need to know who your Savior is. You need to have the lay of the land and understanding. Do you have the high ground? Do you not? Are you on firm ground? Are you on shaky ground? And who is your enemy? Who is your enemy? If you're stressed and anxious, life is always going to be a struggle. And that's not God's will for you. He wants you to learn how to hold it. Is when you learn how to hold it, you can defend yourself and others, and you can strike with accuracy. You can go on the offense. You can remove what the enemy has sought to wrap around someone else. We've got to learn to hold it. How do we learn to have a hold on our life? Well, as it is in most things with Jesus, it's a little counterintuitive. It's a little inside out. It's a little upside down. That's where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus talked about giving away your life. Those who give it away will gain it. Right? This sacrificial love approach. This not loving yourself, your pleasure, your life. Right? But giving it away. Following Jesus and peace and freedom and victory in this life is not accomplished through gimme, gimme, gimme. But through a seek first the kingdom of God. Now, let's look at just a couple of passages of Scripture about wholehearted devotion. 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 14, speaking of God, you keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. And what did Jesus say was the first commandment, the most important thing in all of the Scripture? Love 
with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. In other words, with all your passion, prayer, and intelligence. And from Jeremiah, from the message paraphrase, we get this. God saying to his people, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. The prophet Joel, before his prophecy that is so often quoted, sorry, there it is. Turn to me now. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate. There is a God pattern for us living our life by first seeking Him with wholehearted devotion. Now, I have in this insert here the verses that I just put on the screen and some explanation about what we're doing here in the first three weeks of January. But I want to bring it to a simple focus. And first of all, let me explain what fasting means when you see this word in the Bible. There are a variety of different kinds of fasts in the Bible For the most part, what is being discussed is when a person or a group of people, sometimes it's one person, sometimes it's a group, sometimes it's one meal, sometimes it's a day, three days, seven days, 21 days, 40 days. When someone chooses to go without food to be more focused on God. You see on the screen here. When someone chooses to go without food to be more focused on God. That's a kind of a very elementary, simple, boiled down definition of what fasting is in the Bible. Now, fasting is used by people just like you and me in the Bible for a variety of different reasons. But let me explain what it is not. Fasting is not a way for you to earn credit with God, for you to earn more merit, for you to become a better person in God's eyes. That's not how this works. And fasting is not used for you to be forgiven of your sins. No, through Jesus, the sins, through your repentance of your sin and your confessing your faith in Jesus, that's where sins are wiped out in an instant. And there is nothing you can do to prove yourself to God beyond that. There is nothing you can do to earn more of His love. He cannot love you any more than He already does. So it's really important for us not to get mixed up into legalism and wrong approach to God. God didn't send Jesus to die on the cross so that we would relate to him through legalism. That would be perverted. God sent Jesus so that we could relate to him through grace. So we don't fast to earn merit or for forgiveness of sins. In the Bible, what we see is a lot of people that fasted for different reasons. There were very specific and focused reasons. Sometimes it was a way to mark repentance of sin. Hey, we messed up and we're going to change. And so to help us do that, we're going to fast 
and be focused on you. Sometimes it was a way to mark that, a way as a reminder. How many of you know we need reminders, right? We need reminders. Now, we do this at the beginning of the year because here in America, a lot of people use the beginning of the year to think about how life could, should, might be better. And so it's just a convenient time of year after the gluttony, I'm with you, from Thanksgiving to New Year's, a few days after New Year's, to kind of have a, let's swing that pendulum a little bit on the other side, okay? And I have an explanation um, of how this is actually related to the practice of Lent, which we don't really force or push too hard, which is... uh, celebrated in the 40 days leading up to Easter. But self-sacrifice and a sobriety and a call of a group of people to come together for prayer is a part of the principles that we see in Lent that ancient Christians would practice. So when we do this, we do this to start the year. And and really the truth of the matter is, is if we did this just on one day, there wouldn't be a whole lot of benefit to it. If we did this just for one week, there wouldn't be a whole lot of benefit to it. We've just come to think that three weeks is a good amount of time for it to be something that's meaningful to you. Now, I put out there that as a church, we're going to go without meats and sweets. It's an easy way. It rhymes. It's an easy thing to remember. For three weeks, from the 4th to the 24th, no meat. You can drink milk and get protein. Your teeth won't fall out your head. No meat and no sweets. Okay, as a way for us as a church to be more focused on God. Now, one reason that we do that is because maybe the most beneficial thing that you can do in your life, and you can fast year-round. You don't need to just do it in this three weeks. You can do it any time of year. And I know a lot of people in this room have started to grow in that practice, and it's a very meaningful practice to you. Personally, I don't know how to do this life without fasting. I can, I honestly before you. If I didn't fast, I would not be the person that you know. It would be worse. (laughs) Okay? So one of the most important purposes in this is that you replace the time that you would be preparing food, eating food, cleaning up after the preparation of the food, shopping for the food, that you replace that time with prayer time, with reading your Bible time, with focus on God time. That's the most important aspect of it. And so I would put out an invitation to you to choose when and how you're going to fast. Now please, I have to say, don't adjust your diet without speaking to your doctor. Especially if you're on any sort of medications or you have any particular conditions. Please don't do that. That's why I started warning you we were going to do this six weeks ago. That's why it's up on our website all year round. That's why it's something we do every year to give you plenty of time to consider how to do this responsibly. If you do this responsibly, what's going to happen is your body's going to go through a detox. And what happens when you go through a detox, for everybody in this room that I'm aware of, we have a sugar addiction, okay? And what, what I mean by that is that your body doesn't know how to go through its normal stuff with sugar. There's sugar in bananas, there's sugar in normal natural foods. When you go without sugar, or when you go on less sugar, what happens is your body starts to break down the sugar that's still in you. And so, 
depending on how healthy you are, what's going on with you, for a day to three days, you're going to feel lousy. If you're going to physically feel lousy, oh, I can't make it. You might have headaches. That's your body detoxing. That's your body breaking down the last bit of sugar that you have. And then, depending on how far you take this, how few calories you go down to, if you go down to only uh, water or whatever, for me personally, a lot of times I'll spend a week to go down, 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 less, 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 have a week just on water, and have a week to go back up very, very slowly. A little bit more food, a little bit more food, a little bit more food. That's the healthiest way to do this, okay? What is going to happen is that after your body breaks down the sugar and you have the initial day to three days to feel lousy, then what's going to happen is your body's going to start to switch from using muscle, where it actually can eat a little bit of the muscle, to chewing on the fat. And when it starts to chew on the fat, you'll go into what doctors called ketosis, a fat burning stage, and you're going to feel fantastic. It's the way God designed our bodies. There's, um, in fact, Hippocrates, the Greek who is doctors take the Hippocratic Oath. I promise to try to not hurt people. Hippocrates wrote about the medical benefits of fasting. There are a variety of books that talk about how going without food, giving your body a break from food, actually slows down the aging process and reduces stress. So again, talk to your doctor, but there are medical benefits to going without food. You won't die. You won't. Water. Water, 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 water. Okay? Got it? Now... Some of us in this room could give testimony to doing this the wrong way is bad, (laughs) right? Also, doing this, and I want to say something about personal spiritual disciplines. Let me say those three words again. Personal spiritual disciplines. Matthew 6, when Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, those are personal spiritual disciplines. And one reason throughout the course of the year, you rarely hear me teach with very fine specifics on this or ask you or call you to a lot of accountability about your giving, about your prayer. Have you ever noticed that I don't invoice you on your giving? Right? There are some churches in this city, believe it or not, that will pull your tax return and send you a copy of what you should be tithing. That's not us. We don't do that. Because when you give, when you pray, when you fast, those are personal spiritual disciplines. They should be personal. That means that they should be between you and God, for the most part, and that they should mean something to you. So fasting is the same way. It should mean something to you. It, don't do it because, oh, I have to do it. No. It, think about it. Pray about it. Make a commitment. We're not starting today. We're starting tomorrow. Okay? It should mean something to you personally. You can take one meal. You can take a day. You can spread it out. Make a plan. Make a commitment. But I want to... And I, I really strongly recommend that you change your normal entertainment as well. Some of us are news junkies. Some of us are podcast junkies. Guilty. Some of us are music junkies. Some of us are Netflix junkies. Some of us are movie, whatever, video games. This is the time of year to change your normal habits. If an hour a day on the Xbox is your normal thing, this is the time to cut that out completely or cut it down in half and spend that 30 minutes hour with God instead of... Or on your phone. You feel me? 
This is the time to change your normal entertainment habits and be specific about it and to replace that normal time with God time. You can, sitting at your desk at work, close your eyes for 60 seconds. Be still and know that He is God. You can take your lunch break and walk. I used to do this all the time in my job. Walk the parking lot. Just tell your coworkers, it's January, it's a fitness routine. Right? There's a lot of different ways, but this is the time to change your normal entertainment habits and replace that time with God time. It's time to seek first the kingdom of God. Right? I find that real peace inside a person about their bills, about what all that doesn't come without this. This is beneficial to you. This is a time for us to open ourselves up before God and say, God, is there anything in my life that you want to cut out? I'm not talking about you asking your spouse or your neighbor or your cubicle neighbor at work. I'm talking about God. It's time for you to ask God, trust me, he's got a thought. It's time to ask God, is there anything in my life that you want to cut out? And is there anything in my life that you want to put in? God never takes out without putting in. God never leaves us empty. Remember Jesus said, I came to give you a rich and satisfying life, John 10.10. God, is there anything in my life you want to cut out? Is there anything in my life that you want to put in? What do you think? Does this sound good? Now, on your insert in your bulletin, you will find these questions. And before we close... We're going to close with a time for you in your seat to, in a prayerful, worshipful environment, think about what you should do in this stretch of January 4th to the 24th, our first, the focus, the focus on prayer. During these three weeks, is there anything, what, what should you do? And here the questions are on the screen and they're on this paper, they're on the back, not the side of the logo, on the back. These are the questions I'd like for you to consider this morning. What do I want to be focused on? Why am I choosing to go without? What food, activities, music, TV, social media will I be doing without? Be specific. Write it down. Make a plan. What is it that I'm going to go without? Now, what will I be praying about? should be able to rattle off a variety of things. What will I be praying about? When? What days and times will I be in prayer and Bible reading? When is this going to happen? What am I going to be praying about? We're going to come back to those questions, but I want to give you a sample prayer first. Before I do that, I'd like to um, hand these out now. Do you want to come to the keyboard? So, um, for everyone that I have your email address, I emailed you a copy of this, um, including, uh, thanks to Joe, um, e-reader formats if you use a um, tablet. Um, so there's PDF and e-reader formats. It's in your email. It was sent to you last night. But if you'd like a hard copy, uh, please get one of these uh, hard copies right now. And what we have here, the first couple pages give you a variety of explanation about what we're doing and why we're doing it and some extra stuff uh, to just read through to prepare yourself. And then what you'll see is for every day, 
from January 4th to the 24th, there's something for you to read that you can use if it helps you. There's something for you to read, some Bible verses that you can use to pray through where I kind of synthesized the Bible verse. I boiled down the Bible verse and wrote it in a way that you can use to pray with and some questions. So there's a reading for every day. And I know that we're all different, so I know that that might not work for you. So just in case there's stuff that doesn't work for you, at the back, I put 16 short prayers that you, that's uh, from a guy who's the closest thing I have to a biological brother. Um, 16 short prayers, and then after that, a post about how we can pray about the criminal trials of the police officers charged in the death of Freddie Gray. So you've got a variety of categories, a variety of things that you can pray through. Um, if you don't have a print copy today and you want one, please message me and I'll get you one. But again, everybody that I have your email address, you've got a digital copy of this. Also, for those of you that will be using social media during this time that follow the church, you will see on the church Twitter, the church Facebook, for every day, a post with a link to the website that you can easily read on your smartphone just that day's reading. So that's going to, for free, push out to you um, all through these three weeks so that every day you've got something easy to read and get started. Listen, I know this can be intimidating, okay? It's going to look different for every one of us, okay? It's going to look different for every one of us. Whatever level you're at now, just take a next step. If you've never fasted before, just try having a veggie meal once. If you, what, whatever, wherever you're at now, just try to take a next step. Just stretch a little bit to honor Jesus' request, to seek first the kingdom, to be more focused on God than anything else. What we're going to see is that at the end of the three weeks, we're going to feel less cluttered less frustrated, less worried, less distracted, more at peace, calm, truly reliant on the living God. And normally, not even during the fast, but after it, oftentimes God will speak. After it, after you back on food, a little bit happier, a lot of times after it, in February, after the Super Bowl, a lot of times, all of a sudden, there will be more clarity. You'll see things differently. February and March will look differently. You'll have more peace and more guidance from God, the Holy Spirit. Does this sound good? Are you ready to participate? To close with this prayer, then I'll put the questions back up for you to consider, and then Joe's going to come and lead us in communion. God, you are more important to me than anything else. This January 4th to the 24th, I'm going without, fill in the blank, food, entertainment. I'm doing this because blank. I will be more focused on you than anything else. I choose to live for you. Speak to me, God. Thank you. Amen. I'm going to give you a moment to use the paper, use your phone, whatever you want to do to answer these questions, and then we'll close with communion.